Welcome to the Love Reimagined Podcast. If you're tired of hearing about a God who is supposedly represented perfectly through Jesus, but is less kind than you, your grandma, and even Hitler, this podcast is for you. We welcome you to join Joe Chadburn, that's me, and friends as we reimagine Father through the perfect lens of Christ. Now, we occasionally tip a few sacred cows, but be assured that no members of the bovine species were harmed during the recording of this episode you are about to enjoy. If Jesus really defeated Satan and he is bound... Why is there still so much evil in this world? In this segment of a recent Q&A session, Colin McIntyre and I tackle this theological conundrum. Enjoy. Mistaken, yeah. So go for it. We're Yeah, we're going to get there. And the first question comes from Clara O. And it was from YouTube. And uh, I'm going to pop it up here. Okay. And uh, Clara says, if we're in the millennium, why is there no real peace on earth? And if Satan is bound, why is there still demon possession, Satan worship, and so much evil in the world? And that's a good question, and the kind that I like to uh, to do my best to answer. So Colin's got, uh, and there's a couple other questions from, uh, from a gentleman uh, that really tie into this. So I'm going to get into just some of my uh, Joe Chadburnisms, my little preacherisms, and uh, <laughs> and share a, a, a little bit here about peace and about what uh, what Jesus finished work on the cross actually did to the enemy. And then Colin's going to get into specifics concerning um, Revelation 20, but he's going to back it up a little bit, lay a foundation and get into the uh, the more technical aspects of it. And I'm really looking forward to that. We have some slides. So I'm going to kind of dig in here if that's okay. All right. So the first part, okay, if we're in the millennium, how come there's no real peace? I want to stop with that part uh, of the question first, okay? Because I'm going to contend, without being contentious, that there is peace. He is our peace, who's broken down the middle wall of partition and made us all one. And that word peace is irene in the, in the Greek, and it means to rest, to set at one again. And all, although everyone is not participating in the finished work, in Jesus' work of perfect reconciliation and redemption, it's still there for all of us. So this was, yes, uh, something that instantaneously happened that Jesus did, but it's also something uh, that's progressive, okay? And uh, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 really brings that out. For He says, for unto us a child is born, and he was. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder, okay? And I believe that this king began just (laughs) his beauty uh, all the way from Bethlehem to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension uh, was the beginning. There's no uh, gap where he was crucified, and all of a sudden he's going to reign sometime uh, 2,000 plus years or so, uh, you know, in the future, and then he's pretty much just an, you know, an impotent uh, figurehead somewhere out in the ether who's promised to return and gave his kids a book and said, do your best, you know, un- until I get back 
but all hell's going to break loose. And, uh, you know, I'll eventually save a, a feeble church from a devil, <laughs> from, from, the, from an incarnation of evil that's greater than the, uh, the incarnation of, of good, than the incarnation of beauty and perfection. So, yeah, I don't buy into that. Jesus also said, so, so yeah. So he says, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this, and he is. His kingdom is coming, and it's a kingdom of peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So his kingdom has come, it is coming, and it will come. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. And we really mean it. And John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, okay? So just want to establish that. So there is peace in the earth, but this is a progressive peace, and it is something uh, that is being worked out, okay? And as far as the, the enemy, let's talk about the devil, the diabolos, the false accuser, the slanderer. First John 3, 8 can be confusing if we don't understand that this was this progressive and if we don't uh, have a grasp of, of father's will for this uh, in, entire situation here okay um, okay first John 3 8 at the latter end of it says for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil now that word destroy means to loosen to release to break down to tear down to dissolve to put off to melt or to divorce, okay? Mm. And so, yeah, and the word works, that word works in the Greek is ergon, and it's the word that we get the term ergonomics from. Like if you have a keyboard that's ergonomic, it means your workplace is going to be easier if your desk is more ergonomic. If mm. the dashboard and control panel on your automobile are ergonomic, it's going to be easier to change your radio and to adjust everything uh, that you need with your climate controls and all that kind of thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is good too. Yeah. So what, so what Jesus did, Jesus in his finished work on the cross really tore up the devil's work environment. Okay. And his power and influence have changed, okay, progressively and drastically since Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. All right. So I want to get into this a little bit more. The first century apostles and the church, remember, they dealt with sorcerers, familiar spirits, etc. Okay. Now, his influence, accusations, and slander have far less effect in a world where a large part of the population is living in and functioning from the in Christ, no condemnation realm of power, love, self-control, a sound mind where they are not controlled by the slanderer, okay? By false, accus by false accusations or true accusations because they know that they are loved. So the false accusations do not have power over those who understand that they're sealed and filled with the spirit of Christ, have the mind of Christ, and have the authority of 
Christ. And I believe, I believe that is a, a very powerful thing. It's something that we need to, to keep in mind, okay? Um, Jesus' finished work also did not change the Eden mandate for mankind to have dominion on earth, okay? Jesus showed us how to exercise that dominion, all right? And it's not a dominion where we, uh, where we pray in order to kill Supreme Court justices and, and then boast about it and, and things like that, okay? Uh, this is Sermon on the Mount stuff. This is the Beatitudes. This is turning the other cheek. This is being a, a peacemaker. This is, this is totally different than what a lot of these dominionists, that's why I, I hate that term, okay? Now, I believe in dominion, but when I hear it used in that context, it's taken on, like so many other words, it's taken on a dirty name that it doesn't deserve because people are trying to uh, war a warfare by uh, by flesh and blood and by earthly carnal uh, means, okay? Mm, um, manipulation and witchcraft many times uh, in, instead of uh, love, okay? And, mm. and, and peacemaking and doing things like we see Jesus do, this divine self-sacrificial love who would rather die at the hands of our enemy, okay, than to see them destroyed. Now, that's, that's the God kind of love. And that's, what, that's the thing that turns the world upside down. That's what happened in the first century. It wasn't from getting into bed with Caesar and taking dominion uh, in, in carnal governments over the Roman Empire. They weren't there to make Rome great again, okay? They were there to show, to show people that Jesus was king despite what Caesar did, and his kingdom was one of love, and it was one that prevailed, and it was one that was magnetic and drew people uh, to Christ and to their truest, to understand their truest identity in him. So I, I think that's so powerful. So for that dominion, look at the Sermon on the Mount. Look at his life, his ministry. Look at the cross. It's got to be a cruciform thing, Okay. Something else I want to bring uh, around I, with this. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, man. Yeah, I just want to interrupt there and say, you know, what we're not saying is that you just keep your mouth shut and lay down and let whatever is wrong, you know, roll over you, whether it's politics or economics or anything moral, you know, going on, say, in the land that you're in. I know this is a hot topic right now because the election's coming up. But, um, you know, I, I really like the example of a guy named Richard Wurmbrandt where uh, people really did accuse him of how come you don't just lay down and official like Jesus was. Well, he told, yeah. he showed them in the Gospels that uh, him standing up against the communist uh, aggressors, against the people who yeah. destroyed Romania and destroyed his homeland and you know put put tons of Christians in prison and persecuted and tortured them. I don't you guys got to read his book. It's called Tortured for Christ is one. Yeah. The other one is called In God's Underground. And uh, there he, he shows you the balancing that a, a Christian can speak powerfully to power, speak truth yeah. to power. But at the same time, like Joe said, you're not uh, using um, a natural earthly fleshly means, like you said, a carnal means with no. which to expand God's kingdom as if he needs help or as if he needs some other methods in order to hasten, you know, the, the, the reign of the Messiah. No. He shows you how to speak powerfully and truthfully when evil uh, is persisting and how to stop it in its tracks when that happens. But at the same time, to not love your life to the point of uh, even to death, you know what I mean? And lay it down for the sake of even your enemies. So anybody want uh, some, some, you know, an example of how to, you know, live that balance? 
I think uh, Richard Rumran is good and several other people who have actually lived through persecution, who most of us really haven't, uh, would be the, the go-to people. Like get with people who are experts at it, people who have actually experienced it. And, uh, and to be honest, the kind of evil that's going on right now, it's not at, to that level. That doesn't mean we have to shut up about it. But um, you know, no, what I'm no. about. And, and anybody who knows me understands. I, I appreciate you bringing that. I mean, anybody who knows me understands that's not. I mean, I'm, I'm one. If you know, I, I do speak truth to power. Okay, um, but I refuse to get in bed with power, and that's yeah. that's uh, that's that's the vast difference. Okay, um, yeah. Or to allow a certain party to control me or have my allegiance, uh, you know, politically to have my mind, anything like that, you know. Uh, so <laughs> my my political uh, beliefs and whatever are extremely nuanced, but uh, I want them to be nuanced through the cross. But uh, but yeah, it does mean we speak. If you've if you've ever heard me talk about uh, about Israel and the last, you know, and 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 different governments around the world, okay. And it's not people so much that we have the problem with. It's it's governments and it's things that uh, that are in control, you know. Um, so that's 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 it. We we are yeah. You don't just nobody's saying just to just to lay down. But at the same time, if you're claiming that your prayers are killing Supreme Court justices or that uh, God's you know telling you that you, you know your that's man brutal. needs to be yeah. president. And you're just, I mean, it, there's just so much flaky stuff going out there where really yeah. the kingdom way is yeah. you're, you're following Jesus. And it is, uh, it's very disruptive to begin with because you're speaking love. And uh, many times neither side uh, can, uh, can embrace what's, uh, what's, being, what's being said and spoken because what people will do is they will take and cherry pick certain, uh, certain parts of the Bible or certain things. Right. That, that right. the Lord is saying, and then they'll use that for their for a particular political platform. And we know, uh, like with the Emperor so Constantine, with yeah. Hitler, and even in much more recent uh, history, uh, that th these things happen. And then people try to uh, make someone out to be God's man, and then we're going to, you know, win the world, or you know, or do something for God's agenda by killing people through certain ideologies, uh, just wiping out different countries uh, through the exceptionalism you know, of particular countries and domination uh, of certain countries over others. And, and that's, that's not right. So the whole thing is speaking truth to power. Yes. Without being uh, with definitely without being in bed with empire, <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. And something else I want to share with this, as far as Jesus giving us dominion, and that's never changed. Mankind has dominion. Jesus yes. didn't uh, just take it all upon himself. This is something for the entire mankind. And I believe he wants his children, his wife, the church to, uh, to have victory. You know, he mm. wants people to have victory in the earth. And I'll, I'll ask you a question, which is more humiliating? Okay. A father who defeats his enemies through love or one who empowers his children or his wife to defeat them through love. God, our God is a family God, okay? The heavens, even the heavens, the realm of the spirit, the invisible realm says are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. And, and the earth is also the Lord's and the fullness thereof, okay? But there's not mm. some crazy dichotomy there. It's something that we are in this together, okay? This is, yes, we are in this together. We are joined to him. He who is, who, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And we are in this 
with him and together. But this is a family project, okay? The, uh, that song, Going to the Enemy's Camp, uh, good news for you, the enemy doesn't have a camp. He's an illegitimate squatter, okay? He's like a mouse with Amen. a megaphone, okay? And he yeah. lays false claim to the spoils. Jesus already won the victory, but it's up to us, his children, his family, to conquer the spoils. So that's why the thing is still ongoing. That's why there's still evil that needs to be pushed back and dealt with, but it's not dealt with through carnal means. It's, it's dealt with in the kingdom way, which we might say looks upside down to this world, but it's really uh, right side up. And it's the Jesus way. <laughs> Jesus is perfect theology. He's the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person, the only mm -hmm. one who can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just a couple more things. First Corinthians 15, and I know you're going to get into this, but 25 through 28. He must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. Who's his feet? The government shall be upon his shoulders. He's the head. We're the body. Okay? So the feet are at the bottom of the body. Okay? He must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy shall be that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all and all. And we know that the last enemy that will be defeated is death. Yes, that's what it says. And, and that, hasn't, uh, that hasn't really been fully uh, manifest in the earth yet, okay? Um, yeah, this, this to me is such a powerful thing. I believe you. We got, there are going to be a people who overcome death, you know, um, and they're, 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 they're going to be glorified. Uh, I, I believe there's going to be a people that's so powerful in the earth. I don't believe that all of mankind is just going to, you know, die and be in the ground and have to, because we know that the dead in Christ rise first, then, then we which are alive, whoever's alive and remains. And we'll get into that uh, after on another, another topic here. But uh, Ephesians 1, 16 through 23 also says, Paul talks about, uh, I cease not to give mention for you, uh, thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the one to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is Jesus and the church working together. And there's another point that, uh, that I want to bring about uh, really quickly, too is just because uh, someone is uh, someone's in prison because someone is bound doesn't mean that they don't have influence. Someone can have influence and the mindset and the ideology and uh, and uh, and his goons that may be on the outside 
can still be working outside of a prison, uh, wreaking havoc until those with authority rise up and take their authority and continue to push those things back. So, I mean, there's ideologies, uh, Hitler, Mein Kampf. I mean, there's things that still live on, unfortunately, in the minds of people, although Hitler is even more than bound, he's dead, yet these things uh, continue to go on. But thank God, in the life of the believer, uh, the, uh, what the, the, the works of the false accuser, the slanderer, okay, um, and the one who brings condemnation, he, he has no power and no authority uh, as long as we recognize uh, who we belong to, whose we are, who already won the victory through us, and whose, whose nature, whose name, his nature, his character and authority, we can not just speak as some sort of a, a magic word, okay, but walking in the Spirit. And that's what the name is, the nature, the character, the authority we can stand, and then the 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 <laughs> any any sort of spirit, any sort of thing that wants to uh, come against us. I mean, they're just as afraid of us as they were of Jesus when he walked in his earthly body. So this is this is really something to think about because it's Christ in us who is the hope of glory. So yes, uh, someone can be bound but still have influence. Somebody can be dead and still have influence. Uh, Somebody can be defeated, but the spoils still need to be uh, taken up and certain things, certain things need to be finished and accomplished through father's family members. OK, so I just wanted to uh, to bring that out. And I think that's important. And I'm just going to give this to uh, to Colin right now. And I'm going to pop up a couple slides from uh, from Chris G um, here as Colin's going through this. Uh, you ready for that slide, too, brother? Yeah, let me just okay. uh, preface what, what I'm going to say um, just by saying this. You know, sometimes it's easier regarding the millennium, regarding the, the end of the age and the last days. and But like more like what's going to happen in our future, it's easier to say what you don't believe in than what you do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, sometimes I find myself struggling in that way. And uh, so the first thing I want to say is just where I've come out of you know? Um, and uh, I found a quote by a fellow named uh, Dr. Andy Woods, and he is someone who subscribes to the belief of uh, premillennialism, specifically dispensational premillennialism. Now, premillennialism is the idea that, um, that there is going to be, especially dispensational, uh, type is the is the belief that before uh, or during sorry before the millennium occurs and uh, there is going to be a tribulation and then before that tribulation occurs there is going to be a rapture some believe the rapture happens before some people in the middle of that tribulation and then uh, so basically all of the Christians in the world those who are in Christ are going to be rescued or jump ship before the trouble happens and and um, so that tribulation, how they expect it is, uh, they call it the kingdom of the Antichrist. And then only once that has kind of, you know, uh, been taken care of, when Jesus comes back, his, his arrival, his parousia, then the millennial reign of Christ will begin. So that's why they call it pre-millennialism. All the bad stuff is going to happen before Jesus reigns. So this view, although very popular, uh, 
has some real problematic implications, some real problems with it. And I just want to quote him so you can see for yourself why I and Joe have have left this idea, have left this belief, and are are looking through the scriptures to find one that makes much more sense through the historical context, the universe that the Bible inhabited to find out is there another way to look at the scriptures because uh, of how nonsensical this view makes it seem. And so here we go. Uh, Dr. Andy Woods, he says, in the coming kingdom, which is an article from pretrib.org, he says, the next kingdom on the horizon is not the kingdom of God, but rather the Antichrist's kingdom. Only after the Antichrist's evil kingdom is personally overthrown by Christ will the messianic kingdom become an earthly reality. This basic divinely revealed chronology logically teaches that those people who are involved in kingdom building now, those involved in kingdom building in the present church age, are not contributing to God's kingdom since God's kingdom can only come after the Antichrist kingdom has been abolished by God. And, and so Jesus, rather, Jesus told Pharisees, the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. The kingdom of God is already, is already in you. It just, just things hadn't been activated. And that's even prior to the cross. You know, he's telling, he told them the kingdom of God is at hand. It was right there, readily available. Paul tells us, you know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the, in the Holy Spirit. And, and so to me, this, it's just, it's I'm, I interjected, but it's it's absolutely ludicrous, you know, that Jesus isn't king. The devil somehow is. And we're just in limbo for 2000 plus years and, you know, weak and powerless. And it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's an insult to his finished work. I'll let you go on, brother. Yeah, I, of course, I agree. But so he goes on. He says, you know, those who are active in kingdom work right now and uh, those who are active in the promotion of God's principles in nation states and and in society, you know, in the environment and so on. Um, he says those they're actually helping build the next kingdom on the prophetic horizon, which is the Antichrist kingdom. In other words, anything we do now for uh, for Jesus in building a messianic kingdom, we are deluded. We're actually building the Antichrist kingdom. Why? just because of the chronology, just because of the timeline. He says the next kingdom is only going to be the Antichrist kingdom anyway. So why would we want to do anything, uh, you know, to that, that would just be, it would be like wasting your money or wasting your time. So Dr. Andy Wood states that those who are trying to bring the kingdom of God now are actually in conflict with the so-called prophetic order of God which is to first let the Antichrist set up his kingdom before, or probably in his mind, so that the kingdom of God can come. In other words, the quicker things go to pot, the faster we'll get through it, and the other side is what we're looking for. So, so in his view, that's his good news. You know what I mean? That would be his hope. That's the hope of dispensational premillennialism, is, is that after the bad is going to come the good. And so why not just let the bad take its course, you know? So according to this view, the increase of darkness in the church and the earth is not a sign that we should rise up to advance the kingdom of God, bringing righteousness, joy, and peace to the world, as Joe said. 
But that's actually a sign that a secret rapture is near, where Jesus will clean up the world in the millennium or the kingdom age. And so the thinking is, becomes, as you can probably guess, why would we try and fix the world now when Christ is just going to fix everything when the millennium happens anyway? Or why and, help people? Because this, uh, you need broken people to have a broken world. Right. So you're not helping yeah. people. The people that you, you're claiming to love, you're withholding love in right. order for your eschatological nonsense to take place. Yeah. And, you know, this has uh, so many problems with it. And from for me, I, I think just calling it what it is, it's, it's a fairly demonic doctrine. Because mm -hmm. what it does is it uh, short circuits anybody's motivation to do good whatsoever. It really does provide little encouragement for people to treat one another well and even to, you know, uh, to do anything like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, now a very interesting figure um, during the same time frame when rapture theology and this, this idea of premillennial uh, tribulation and, and then the kingdom after came about, there was a, a figure who probably most of us didn't expect who spoke against it. And that is uh, none other than mr rogers has anybody watched mr rogers neighborhood and there's been some films recently that have highlighted his life's work which was not specifically in the church and to be honest i thank god that it wasn't you know it was on public television mm -hmm. which is great i mean no one can argue that few pastors almost no pastors have had the same breadth of influence that this man had in the 70s the 80s and even the 90s and so i just want to read a quote from him because i believe this guy got a download from heaven about the millennial reign of christ what we're going to be talking about next and he says this let's take the gauntlet and make goodness attractive in this so-called next millennium that's the real job that we have i'm not talking about pollyanna-ish kind of stuff I'm talking about down-to-earth actual goodness. People caring for each other in a myriad of ways rather than people knocking each other off all the time, he says. Mm. What changes the, wor the world? What really changes the world? Fred Rogers says the only thing that ever really changes the world is when somebody gets the idea that love can abound. And uh, let me just extend that for a sec. Love abounds in the face of wickedness, that grace abounds in the face of uh, even tragic evil, even yeah. inexplicable evil. That uh, I really believe Mr. Rogers, and by the way, those who are too young maybe who are watching this that don't know who he is, he was a children's television program host and, and one of the kindest guys. If you have a chance to see either his documentary, which was... Um, can I be your neighbor? I think it was. And then there was another film. Um, I, I can't remember the names, but uh, Tom Hanks played Fred Rogers. And, and there's so many, especially the documentary is better, I think, than the actual film because it shows you, it actually, uh, you know, you can see what he said verbatim and how he acted in, uh, in, in reality. The guy was just such an ambassador for goodness and peacemaking, like Joe mm -hmm. was talking about. Few people, I think, approached his awareness of what it takes to create peace not in a political platform you know what i mean not in a, a um how would you say 
standing on a stage and and trying to like force it and compel people and and not even in a supreme court way where you just try to enforce it no his way was much much longer lasting and effective because he got jesus mindset that if you plant the seeds for peace at an early enough age the soil will be good the soil will be fertile it'll be and it's not it's not brainwashing it's it's actually uh letting kids speaking to kids in their own language in a way that they can understand what what goodness kindness peace love gentleness gentleness and self-control really looks like and remember Rester rogers started out in the period of the vietnam war the soldiers returning home many of whom were fathers right now they have these kids who they didn't even know maybe they we got pregnant, you know, before they, they left and then they come back and there's this toddler in their house and, and plus the PTSD and all this kind of stuff. You can imagine just the chaos of, of that time period, the drug addiction. That's when the whole drug war started. Man, Mr. Rogers, I think, was a godsend into that environment, speaking to kids, even about things like suicide, about grief, about depression, about um, being, a, you know, just being a friend to people, listening to people. Oh, racism. You can see um yeah. this is also the the when the race riots were occurring he uh, he had a, several programs about um about uh about the race and everything like that so anyways i don't want to beat that too hard but it's this people like that is what we want to listen to not dr andy woods i love you man but to to think that we would lie down in the face of evil i think is just playing into the hands of a massive deception that has overtaken people's thoughts of the of the last days people's thoughts of the end times yes a lot lot of people are into mr rogers on the comments and i'm sure the song is going through their head like it's going through mine maybe maybe we'll sing it at the end yeah but (laughs) this is so good you ready to pull up that (laughs) hi neighbor are you you ready (laughs) ready to pull up the uh your slide Okay, let's let's do that then. Okay, super. And this kind, these kind of uh, play into each other. But yeah, how can Satan be bound if we're in the millennium now? And right. uh, Chris also asks uh, the question, and Colin's going to tackle this well, too. Put up my uh, slide there. Yeah, I'm yeah. going. I'm going to put that up. Sure, sure. Um, here we go. Okay. Okay. All hopefully, right. hopefully it's big enough that people can see, but. I wanted to take some time today and uh, and really lay down a foundation for what, like everything that Joe was saying and that what we've been saying so far has a foundation in scripture, that this isn't just coming out of nowhere. And of course, there's interpretive differences, of course. But today, I wanted to show what, at least what the text says, so we can have a framework for why we are saying the things we are. Like, like probably one of the most controversial ideas, at least in some circles, is that the millennial reign is occurring now. Like Jesus is, he he is ruling uh, in the earth right now and that the messianic kingdom is alive and well and the anointed and all that stuff. So where, you know, where do we even get that from? What possible, you know, scriptural evidence can we have? And For me, um, when I look at 1 Corinthians 15, this is such a jewel in the Bible. This is Paul giving what people like David Bentley Hart say, the fullest depiction of Paul's 
uh, last things vision anywhere in his writings. This is such a unique and go ahead. Can I interject just, just, yeah. just a second? Because something you said really uh, triggered something in me. Okay. Because, because we hear so much, and I think in, in Western evangelicalism, we were always taught so much about everything being, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but he's Lord of me. I make him my personal Lord, okay, and mm -hmm. Savior. He's not the Savior of the world, really, and he's not really the Lord of, <laughs> of Earth, okay? His mm. lordship doesn't isn't uh, given permission in certain theological circles to transcend, you know, just Lord of my life. And a lot of times that Lord of my life has nothing to do with uh, with loving the earth and being a peacemaker. It has to do mm. with me not smoking, me not, you know, uh, using certain words or, uh, you know, watching certain cartoons <laughs> or, okay. or whatever, going to the movies, bowling. You know, I, I think there's just been so yeah, yeah. many uh, there's just been so many things where it's been to where this is he's he's a personal Lord and Savior. Mm. But no, he's not just a personal Lord and Savior. We need to get on, out of on. that mindset. That was never the mindset of Jesus or the apostles or the church fathers. This is really a uh, that's really a relatively new teaching and one that is really selfish and doesn't care yeah. about the earth. And, it, and it's ultimately, you know, destructive and is getting in the way of this kingdom advancement that we're talking about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quiet and let you get on there. No, I'm glad you said that because, I mean, this is something I posted uh, uh, just a day ago, like 24 hours ago. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but, um, you know, it's true. I, I used to think of Christians as tiny lights in a cold, oppressive world that were kind of constantly enveloped in this darkness that the world is so. And and by the way, I don't know if my friend, uh, one of my friends, Edie, is watching, but this is kind of how we I, I grew up. I grew up in a church that believed that 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 said there is the very few, the exclusive, the Church of God, is uh, is very oppressed, and we're just tr trying to fight as best we can against this this mm. evil that we saw everywhere and and in everyone. Of course, it was a very judgmental kind of church, and I'm glad that that I was able to break free thanks to the mercy of God. But uh, that's how I thought. I thought that I was just this tiny light in a cold, oppressive world. And I wasn't really hot anyway. You know, I wasn't, God didn't really see much in me, you know, being wretched and blind anyway, as much as I am. So maybe you can say a smoldering light. You know, that's that's kind of maybe how I saw myself and many people in that environment that I was in saw ourselves. Mm -hmm. Every now and then flickering, you know, on Sunday or when we'd go to rev a revival meeting and we'd get hot again. But... <laughs> But then I realized uh, after some time, a long story in my 20s, that I was just using my natural eyes when I saw myself like that, when I saw the world like that, that there is such a, a vision we can get with spiritual eyes that that really flies in the face of what you read in the newspaper, what you see preached in many places, and so on. And, and I saw this verse in John chapter 9, verse 5, like with totally new eyes. I saw... It says, as long as I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. And all of a sudden, just it started exploding in my brain that with these new eyes of faith that I had, Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and then his pouring out of the spirit was like this one giant, let there be light. Mm -hmm. You know, just like 
God in creation said, let there be light and the universe was changed forever. Mm -hmm. Even though Jesus was crucified and though he died, when he rose again and ascended and then poured out his spirit, he's like, I'm a, in Revelation it says, I am alive. Uh, behold, I am he who is dead, but but I am alive forevermore, he says, basically. In other words, he is now in the world uh, through his Holy Spirit and in the hearts of believers and his kingdom and his principles, his influence is permeating progressively, as Jill mentioned, but still permeating the very ground, you might say. It's soaking into the into this earth in such an incredible uh, degree. And so um, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Listen, we're, we're not just these tiny lights in a cold, oppressive world. This earth is warming up, man. This earth is heating up. Mm. And uh, of course, there's battles going on, as you would expect, when such an explosive power, that kind of light, it the darkness flees at its touch. And so, of course, there's conflict. Of course, there's going to be problems because of what that's what happens when you strike, uh, you know, when, when you strike a flame to a match. There is a there is a, a combustion, you might say, that happens there. You, you can't ex it's not always going to be smooth, linear, which we talked about last time and peaceful. There's going to be some fireworks sometimes there's going to be sparks when something especially entrenched gets hit by let there be light you know what i'm saying yeah so uh so so here we go let's let's get into um paul's beautiful eschatological vision this vision that he had of of how the future looked to him and you can see here he describes three phases in the life-giving reconciliation of all things to God. And so let's look at that right now. 1 Corinthians 15. For just as in Adam all die, starts in verse 22, so also in the anointed all will be given life. Now there's a hope for you. Maybe in one verse he kind of encapsulates his vision. Yeah, everyone in Adam died, but in, in Christ, in the anointed man, one all will be given life. And then he explains uh, the progression or the steps that are necessary in order to get there. Now, he's using very broad strokes here. So this is what causes the difficulty because people are trying to wonder when and how these steps take place, right? But anyways, this is what we have to look forward to. And, and Joe, I don't know if you agree, but when people ask me, what do you think is going to happen in the future? This is the go-to verse. Do you agree with me? Like this... If you don't want to get specific with people, just go to this verse, and you can at least have a solid foundation for what to say. Yeah. I, I have a, I have other favorite passages too, but this this is definitely uh, yeah in the right at the right at the top with them for sure. Yeah, man. So here he says each in verse twenty three, each in the proper order. So basically, first number one, he says the anointed as the first fruits, Christ Jesus as the first fruits. And of course, that's the, the Gospels. If you want to put the Gospels inside this, you can just package them all up and you can put them in there. The Gospels and what happened there is the first step in, in, God's, uh, last, in God's last things um, vision. And so thereafter, number two, the second step, those who are in the anointed at his arrival, at his parousia. And so my argument is that 
what the parousia, rather than being in the premillennialism and this, this the dispensational idea of it coming after, I see the parousia, the arrival, which we talked about at length, as being when Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he arrived both in the person of his Holy Spirit and after that in the final blow to the old covenant, the old covenant law of God when he uh, arrived in the form, um, rather when he his messengers came in the form of the Roman legion and burnt it to the ground and completely eliminated the last vestige of that wall that was dividing Jew and Gentile and so on and dividing people that so that God no longer needs a geographical location, no longer has a geographical location mm -hmm. on the earth with which at which he must be worshipped. But now, like Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth, not in a place, not in a mountaintop, but yeah. he's looking for and he's he he is left the building and he is alive and well, uh omnipresent in the world at large. They invade, instead of people, the old covenant way of people being drawn to God, like to the Mount Sinai and everything like that. Now God himself is spreading like wildfire, like honey, like water. Probably the best analogy is water covering the earth because that's what it means when he pours out the Holy Spirit. And now it's flooding every dip and valley that is amenable to that spirit. And it's, it's working into the soil. It's getting everyone's getting wet let's put it that way um so those who are in the anointed at his arrival there in i believe in the first century then the full completion when he delivers the kingdom to him who is god and father when he renders every principality and every authority and power ineffectual so notice that third step is him delivering the kingdom after his arrival and then delivering it to god the Father, when every enemy has been defeated, when every enemy has been put under his feet. And this is where we get into the talk of progression. This is the progressive part of his kingdom. Yes, Jesus arrived and, uh, and he poured out his spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, and you know, old men will dream dreams, young men will prophesy and so on. And that's happening and it's continuing to happen. But um, progressively through the age, like the last time we talked about the tree ring. Do you guys remember that? We, show, we showed that picture of a tree ring and how it was not uniform. It was not a linear thing, but as a tree grows outward or like a little leaven leavens the whole lump or as a mustard seed starts out small and then spreads, becomes the biggest plant in the garden. Birds can nest on its branches and so on. Those things are speaking about a progressive um, subjugation, a progressive subordination of the the authorities and powers and principalities that hold themselves against the spread of the Messiah, of Jesus in this world. And that's been happening now for the last 2,000 years. Um, it says, for he must reign till he puts all enemies under his feet. And uh, it, again, he must reign. In other words, before his enemies can be fully subordinated to him, he must reign. Mm -hmm. And so since Jesus has come and his spirit is continually being poured out all over the earth, enemies must be being put under his feet. And he, that, that must continue until 
the enemy as long as enemies exist, as long as there are things that hold themselves against God and his principles. Which, which last, is a direct contradiction to what you were saying before about those who don't believe that he can reign. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Like when we talk about Jesus taking a sabbatical, for example, um, he he did take a, a small one when when he was, and he even alluded to this when he talked to his disciples, where he said, the time is coming when it will be night. You guys remember that? And then people are going to fast, right? And But but nobody fasts during the day when it's daytime and the bridegroom is there, basically, he, he was saying. Because the Pharisees were asking, how come your disciples fast, don't fast, rather? And how come you don't teach them to fast? And so Jesus answered them, when the bridegroom is around, then there's no need. It's only when the bridegroom is gone. Now, people have taken that, as you know, Joe, and they've extended that from then, from Jesus' uh, crucifixion, rather, all the way up till now and are waiting for that fasting time to be over, let's say, when that nighttime should be over. But little do they realize... Like deadbeat dad is going to finally, you know, come back on the scene over 2,000 years later is, is kind of the, the feel of it. Right, yeah. And, and of course, they get more fuel for the fire by when they read the parables where it talks about the king, remember the king and the rich businessman going away for a long time and then finally coming back and seeing how his servants yeah. are. Yeah. But... But listen, when when Jesus said, you know, as long as it is, how how did he put it? When when I am there, there's no need to fast. Well, you have to ask yourself, is Jesus here? Well, bodily, no. But otherwise, I, I really feel the Holy Spirit is really getting a short stick here. Like he's like, guys, you know, I am the Spirit of Christ, mm -hmm. and of course, not in the flesh. But then, because it's not Jesus in the flesh. His power is not limited by a, a fleshly body. He, he can actually um, intervene and uh, invade and influence and spread all around the world by being himself, by the Holy Spirit being himself, by being that gentle, you know, uh, influence on people. Sometimes that um, that he interrupts people's lives, sometimes through the, the work of his ambassadors and his people who share the gospel around the world. He yeah. com completely turns around whole cultures in, in a generation. You know, we've seen that in history. You know, of course, Jesus is here. Absolutely. He's been here for the last 2,000 years, just not in the form that you saw in the Gospels. Yeah. And, um, and they did have a, there was somewhat of a gap, although we're not taken away from God's omnipresence, but between the cross and, and Pentecost. Right. There was, there was yeah. something that happened where this is, yeah, this was, you know, the fasting and praying, something, something happened, you know, um, and yeah. should, he's, he's not absent. He is here. This is that, which was prophesied by, spoken by the prophet Joel. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Glad that you mentioned that. It, it, imagine the darkness that was in the world. I mean, even the clouds overshadowed the, the Mount uh, Calvary there, the Golgotha. And the earthquake and everything, just the spiritual and physical phenomena that happened there are, are just incredible. It was a dark time. I mean, if you watch Mel Gibson's movie, Passion of the Christ, he does a decent job of at least getting the emotional and of what that time must have been, must have felt like. But then what do you see in that movie, Passion of the Christ? You see that drop of rain coming down, you know, on the ground and the earth shaking. And then the next scene, you see Jesus picking up where he left off, where he leaves 
the yeah. uh, leaves the the tomb, and the tomb is the tomb is empty. Listen to me. This can be a mantra if you're a motto if you want. The tomb being empty is the sign that Jesus is in the world. Hallelujah. Yeah. That uh, it's not darkness now. The bridegroom is here. He is alive and well. Yes. So it goes on. Uh, sorry, First Corinthians twenty verse 15, chapter fifteen rather verse twenty six. The last enemy rendered ineffectual is death. Now notice, it doesn't say that the last enemy. Uh, who is removed or ceases to exist notice it doesn't use the word those words here it says the last enemy rendered ineffectual mm -hmm. now this this should give us an idea of what this progressive um this progressive advancement of jesus millennial reign looks like that uh, jesus forces being being put into battle and being used effectively what it looks like is is things like death and whatever else the enemy has put out there in order to in order to hinder the reign of Jesus is just rendered ineffective it's rendered moot it's rendered obsolete it's rendered it like it it might still be there you know what i mean but it has no power anymore yeah it's like a a, a, a it would be like a spider web you know what i mean just you just have to go through it you know and it just it's flimsy, weak. It has no power. It has no authority. It's it might look bad. It might look big, but at its heart, like you said, the mouse with the megaphone, yeah. it is simply inconsequential to the to to where the world is going, where the direction of humanity is going. Things are just being um, left behind, shed like a snakeskin. Yeah. you know uh, or like a molting of, of feathers you know what i mean and so that new ones can emerge uh underneath it, and it, uh, and that kind of growth stink for a while you know sorry go ahead i said dead skunks can stink for a while okay right on yeah yeah true just because something uh, is dead and gone doesn't mean that it doesn't have uh, an effect and so um verse 27 for he subordinated all things beneath his feet but when it says all things have been subordinated beneath his feet, it's clear that this does not include the one who has subordinated all things to him. Now, I want to pause here and uh, take a look at the colors that I've used in order to show this, these steps, these progression of the future. Um, I, I've put Jesus, the, the verses that clearly talk about Christ in green. Uh, those that are talking about those who are in Christ, the church, and f all followers of Jesus and believers uh, are in blue, and then God the Father in purple. And so you can see that repeated through almost like in a, in a I don't know if it's a chiasm or a kind of poetic structure, but it's definitely repetitive, you might say. And he's using these uh, this way of writing in order to build layer upon layer and and uh, and and build on this three phase idea, three phases. Is it okay so then, with you later to make uh, these slides and with the colors available to people? Yeah, I can export it and uh, we can okay. have it as a link in Google Drive. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, just remind me to do that. Good, good sure. idea. And so uh, after God the Father, it's in verse twenty-five. Uh, we see Jesus being repeated again. He must reign. Then in verse 27, he subordinated all things. This is God the Father beneath his feet. And I love that Joe mentioned this already. 
the blue being those who are in Christ. Yes, mm. it's true. We are his body. One time I asked God, I, I prayed to God and I was like, there's this problem that I'm having and God into your capable hands. I commit this issue. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, the Holy Spirit came back to me and he's like, but Colin, you're my hands and my mm-hmm. feet. So when I was praying into your capable hands, God's like, I will answer your prayer because it's you. You know, <laughs> you're the one who I have designated, who I've delegated authority to as my hands and feet. Now, it's not that like I pass the buck to God and then God passes the buck to me. No, yeah. because feet and hands are attached to something. Come on. Mm-hmm. Hands and feet are a part of a body. They're a part of something. Jesus is the head. You know, God is the head. And his lifeblood is flowing through into my hands, into his hands and feet, yeah. which is me and you. So it's not an either or dichotomy situation here where it's, it's. I guess it's up to me. It's all up to me. All the pressures of my life are on my back, you know, and I just got to endure it until Jesus comes back. But hopefully the Antichrist doesn't deceive me. I'm being facetious here, but you know what I'm saying, right? That that when God says, no, you are the one uh, that I have empowered for this time, that we can take that and we can can run with it. We can be encouraged by that, guys. So God is in the business. In the purple means the Father. So the Father, God is subordinating all things beneath uh, us, beneath our feet. And later we're going to see where that comes from in the Bible. It comes from a psalm, a certain psalm. So when he says, when it says all things have been subordinated beneath his feet, and now there's us again, it's clear that this does not include the one who has subordinated all things to him. Now, this is a pretty obvious point. It just means that God the Father is not subordinated to Jesus or us, you know. Yeah. And verse 28 And when all things have been subordinated to him, talking about the anointed Christ again, it's green, then will the son himself also be subordinated to the one. There's our purple again, God the Father, the one who everything is pointing to, the one who everything is inexorably uh, being drawn towards, who has subordinated all things to him. There's Jesus again. So that, now this one, I went crazy with the rainbow here. So that God may be all in all. And there we have our purple, our green, and our blue kind of all intertwined and intermixed and uh, and combined with one another. Uh, again, not losing ourselves in the process, like, say, um, Zen Buddhism might say, where everything just kind of becomes this homogenous oneness. But uh, having our identities completely subsumed in consumed in him mm. and one so just like um just like you might say god and and the father and the son and the spirit have that that intrinsic relationship with one another that love and beingness with each other mm-hmm. then we also join that incredible song that incredible chorus that, that incredible harmony you might say differing notes yeah mm-hmm. but a harmony nonetheless Mm-hmm. And so God may be all in all. So Joe, this is the greatest eschatological passage I've ever found in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It, it it starts from Jesus and goes on through the book of Acts in, in us, our part in it. 
Yeah. It includes where Jesus says to Peter, Peter's like, how is this all going to work out? And Jesus is like, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. Yeah. In other words, you're, you're, you're moving in lockstep with this progression, with these phases, with this step towards having all things coming into, into yeah. God. Let's let's call it syncing up the earth with heaven. Can I put it that way? <laughs> sure, that's, that's hey, our job. Like that. All right, quickly here. Um, this this by the way, this this live cast is for those that love scripture. If you haven't uh, found out, man, if you're passionate about the Bible and the text, this is, I mean, this is the this is the kind of stuff that I love, and I hope you guys love it too. But Psalm eight is where Paul quotes from. If you look here, I put it in italics. This is coming from Psalm 8. Now, when you read Psalm 8, you can see the incredible richness that Paul derives from it. And not that he changes the meaning, but he expands what the meaning can be. And so Psalm 8 verse 4 says, the psalmist is, is exulting. He's rejoicing. When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, talking to God here, the moon and the stars you fixed firm. What is man that you should note him and the human creature that you pay him heed. And you make him little less than the Elohim. With glory and grandeur you crown him. It's like a question that he's asking. Yeah. You know, some of us may have felt the same way, right? Joe, like, haven't you felt like totally undeserving? Like completely, why would God even think about me? Yeah. Why would God even care? Considering what's happening in the world today, why would, shouldn't God just you know, brush his hands and be done with us and start mm -hmm. again like like Moses uh, on, on the mountain. You know, I'm going to make a new people out of you, Moses. Yeah. And Moses is like, no, what about your reputation in the nations? Mm -hmm. And from that point on, you never see God ever, ever again. I think he was only facetiously contemplating that. I don't think sure. that he, he was seriously going to just wipe out the Israelites. But uh, you never see that again where God, when, when God's in it, He's in it to win it. Hallelujah. When God's committed himself to people, he will never stop until he has gained, he has got the victory. And those people are redeemed into the destiny that he has for them. That's such good news for me and you. So in other words, what, yeah, what's man that you should even know him and meet with him and spend time with him and listen to him? He says, you pay him heed and you make him only a little less than the Elohim. And Elohim here can mean either God, as in uh, usually refers to God, but it's not a capital G here. Many translations put a small g because of its other meaning, which is uh, celestial beings. In other words, divinely created ones, divinely created beings. That's a whole other topic, but but the this gives us our place in the universe very clearly that God has made you and me only a little less than even the heavenly beings. Uh, with glory and grandeur, you crown him. In other words, he has made us co-heirs and kings with him, kings and queens with him. You make him rule over the work of your hands. All things, here it is, you set under his feet. And there you go. That's where Paul gets it from. All things you set under his feet. This is where we get the idea that we are the body of Christ, that it's not just 
Jesus by himself, that we just sit back and wait for him to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. That's not what this passage is talking about. We're not a sit and wait group of body of believers because that kind of body, you might say, is it nothing more than a couch potato? And the couch potato is ineffective in, in everything. They're only good at watching, right? Watching TV and, and just observing and watching things and waiting. And, you know, that kind of life is not the life of, of the believer and not what God has inspired this psalmist in Psalm 8 to describe man as. No, all yeah. things he is set under his feet. Anything you want to add there, Joe, before I go on? No, that's very good. I'm, well, just as a teaser, we're going to talk a little bit about the rapture in a little while and uh, and some other things. But no, this is really good. And no, you're just really building, uh, building something wonderful here. So yeah, go on. Okay, so the last part is then all of this can now be overlaid atop, I believe, Revelation 20. And Revelation 20 we can even use some of the color coding that we used, uh, these phases of first Jesus, then us, and Jesus through us, rather, and then Jesus through us to God. And uh, those phases, again, are not separate from each other, but they all work together, just like uh, um, a river might start as a glacier, a little trickling stream in the mountains, and then slowly build in power and capacity as it leads to the ocean. So let's call the ocean as God, you know what I mean? And we are in the river being run through the channel, uh, through the earth, let's say, to the ocean. And of course, there's lots, probably some of you know some hymns and songs that sing about that, you know? We sang one this morning where we've got love like the ocean, we've got love like the ocean, and we've got joy like a fountain, we've got grace, no, peace rather, like a river. There you go. So hey, this song is is uh, exactly in in line with what we're talking about today. But Revelation twenty talks about this uh, in verse one: an angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a great chain, and he seizes the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is a slanderer and the accuser. And there we have our word devil, slanderer, and accuser, Satan, or Shatan, however that's pronounced and then bound him for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. Now we talked about a thousand years in the past. This is in response to our friend, Chris. Now here's your your family name kind of threw us for a loop here, but he later, he sent me uh, a recording of um, of how to actually pronounce his last name. And it's something like, see if you can, you can uh, see if this is right, Chris. Gutknecht, Gutknecht, something like that. And so, but uh, Chris G, let's, Chris G is good enough. And uh, so a thousand years we found out is not literal. That's just not how the in ancient person would have seen numbers like that at all, especially an ancient Eastern person. Um, the West, in terms of its scientific calculator style mentality of precise numbers and very, very sophisticated uh, mathematics uh, didn't really exist at that point. And so they would never have, you know, seen a thousand years as a literal number that you could basically count down to, like so many of us have in the in the twentieth and twenty first century, and then seen failed prophecies and so on, where we've tried to count so carefully, and then it just never happens. Um, the thousand years rather meant an indeterminately long period of time. There you go. 
Yes. And an eon, uh, a period, a period of time, where that is considered so long, and uh, and whose influence extends to a point where you cannot just, it doesn't have a clear endpoint. It just doesn't have a clear endpoint. So a thousand years was a way to describe that. Just like we, in a hyperbolic way, say, you know, well, you know. Uh, it took how long did it take you to drive down here, man? It took me like a million day, a million. It took me, you know, a, a long time. It took me a million hours to get here, or something like that. It's just a way to describe something that's long. Yeah. And so when we talk about uh, the the devil being shut up and bound for a thousand years, then he's being cast into the abyss. And the angel shut it and sealed it over him so that he should no longer lead the Gentiles astray until the thousand years are finished. Thereafter, he must be set loose for a little while. And so this is one of the difficult passages because uh, immediately it, it brings the question, hey, how can this be true if we are in the thousand years now, the millennial reign now mm -hmm. of Jesus? And... Uh, and especially if it's an indeterminately long period of time, then we don't know when it's going to end. But how can someone who is bound have any influence and effect at all? And so, Joe, I think you alluded to this earlier, that someone who is bound still has the ability to, what did you say? Oh, they can still have a, a lot of influence. Yeah, a lot of influence sure. to, uh, to wreak havoc on the, on the outside. Sure. They, they have a mouth. They have... They have a, they have thoughts that can be sent out. They have a, a mind and a will. Someone just because someone is bound doesn't render them completely ineffectual. But as we saw before in First Corinthians fifteen, Jesus must reign until that that their power is and until death is made ineffectual. Plus, of course, any other machinations that are going on, any other devilish shenanigans that are going on are steadily being rendered ineffectual. We could also say that the consequences of something, let's talk about that for a minute. Just because something is bound, just because something is shut out and sealed um, and uh, and no longer able to no longer able to deceive in the way that he did before, let's say directly, that means doesn't mean that there are not indirect means of accomplishing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the consequences and habits that those things have engendered in humanity can continue. So, I mean, just look generationally. If I'm a bad parent and I have uh, perhaps uh, had children too soon and uh, I wasn't ready for it, I'm still immature in the way I deal with life, then those things are going to be inherited by my kids. And that doesn't necessarily mean the devil did it to my kids, you know this the way that the habits and the consequences of the way that i have lived my life is going to affect my kids save the redeeming and salvific power of jesus christ yeah. which lots of testimonies exist about that and so even the effects and consequences in the aftermath the you might say the the um uh, for example like on a beach you know when a wave hits it and then recedes you can still see the effects of that wave on the beach the, the ridges and, and shallows and and uh, whatever seashells are washed up there there's still things that have been littering the landscape you might say of humanity 
<laughs> even though that ocean has receded, even though that force, that stimulus has disappeared uh, or is in the process of receding, uh, you can still see its effects. And so thereafter, he must be set loose for a little while. And, uh, and, so, and so this one is kind of an aside I see here. Thereafter, he must be set loose for a little while. You could almost see that being put in brackets because it just doesn't give uh, a long description of that yet here. It's almost, it's, uh, the writer is almost just reminding you that, yeah, there is going to be a time when, when there is a full frontal, you know, a full kind of thing going on where his influence is, let's say, unleashed again in some, mm -hmm. in some period later. Now, um, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them. Now, this one threw me for a loop. Who is the they? Like, what's the pronoun talking about here? They and them. They sat upon them. Okay, the thrones are the them, but who is the they? And uh, as far as I can tell, it is uh, the Gentiles, because that seems to be the only other noun or only other people uh, that that is... Uh, that's being talked about, at least in the plural, right? So the Gentiles sat upon them and judgment was given to them as well as the souls of those who had been decapitated on account of the witness of Jesus and on account of God's word and who didn't make obeisance to the beast or to its image and did not receive the impress on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with the anointed for mm -hmm. a thousand years. So there we have the, again, the millennial reign of Christ is happening here. That that work that began in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and uh, is continuing through his people, through the book of Acts, and then into uh, our time here in the 21st century. Um, of course, we don't want to go too deeply into like the beast or its image, but basically those who had who had been who through God's influence and power through the Holy Spirit were not distracted and, and, and were, are not deceived by these figures that have come up through history to, um, to have people worship and believe in the things that are against the, the messianic reign of Christ, who don't obey the gospel, who don't see God's finished work in Christ. Those who are, who have, who, who have had, um, such a, a recreative work done on their soul they're able to see they're able to see god who he really is how he really uh came to be and uh, and who he is for us now so until the thousand years had elapsed the rest of the dead did not have life this is the first resurrection how blissful and holy the one who has a share in the first resurrection over these the second death has no power Instead, they will be priests of God and of the anointed and will reign with him a thousand years. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so when we talk about, and even back here, when it, when it talks about um, uh, they came to life and reigned with the anointed for a thousand years, and then it talks about this is the resurrection, you know, a lot of people, this is admittedly a difficult passage because is it physical or is it spiritual and so on? And and I think it doesn't, I don't think we necessarily have to choose between those two. I think I think this is talking about the, the entire bodily work of the gospel. And we know that the work of the gospel in 
influences, affects, and infuses uh, every aspect, you might say, of creation, from the physical to the spiritual, and yeah. the whole spectrum, you might say, in between. I think sometimes we put too much of a separation between those two things such that we believe if something happens in the spiritual, it's not physical. And if it's not physical, then it's not spiritual. But I think in God's kingdom and uh, and a shout out to a, there's a few people that have taken this. I think Michael Moberger talks a lot about this, how um, the body is just as important to the uh, to um, to the gospel as the spirit and so on. And uh, both of them are just not in competition with each other, but uh, the physical reflects what happens in the spiritual, and the, and the spiritual can even be affected by what you do in the physical. Otherwise, why would Jesus even use prophetic activity? Like, have you ever seen Jesus use a prophet in a physical way and say, "Dress like this," or "Go marry that lady," or? Or uh, hey, Agabus, tie that belt around G uh, Paul's hands and and go make a proclamation about a famine that's going to come. You know, these things have an effect in in the yeah. spiritual world as well. It has an effect on the demonic. It has an effect on uh, the angelic. It has an effect on on everything. And so I think people have taken this for a ride a little bit and caused a separation where there doesn't need to be. That when it talks about resurrection, when it talks about coming to life and so on, I, I think there is an array, there is a, a whole host of ways that that can, that that could have been fulfilled, a whole host of ways that that can be seen. Yeah, perhaps in the future we'll get, we can get into the beast and the, the mark and all of that. Too many people... Uh, forget about the mark of God, you know, <laughs> people being <laughs> having the mark of God. That's nobody talks about that, you know? Okay. And, and uh, even the idea, and this is, this is just part of it because I have my beliefs of, of, you know, this being fulfilled as far as when we get the beast and the mark and all of that uh, mm -hmm. in the first century. But, uh, but part of it that carries over to, you know, the forehead speaks of, uh, you know, carnal carnal wisdom you know and leaning leaning on the on carnal wisdom which is earthly sensual devilish and uh, mm -hmm. the right hand speaks of uh, you know human effort human strength you know uh, the mm -hmm. arm of the flesh and uh, which really like I say we can we can get into the first century we you know in the future and talk about uh, you know the corrupt uh, the corruption and apostate Israel uh, as well as Rome and really break that down, I think, in a uh, in a future um, live stream, perhaps, because I know a lot of people are wondering about that, and we kind of moved over it. But I think it's something that we can can really tap into, and maybe maybe take just an entire session uh, yeah. talking about something like that. Because yeah, let's see how it goes. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the rest of this chapter it talks about now after the thousand years has elapsed after the millennial reign has elapsed and then when satan is released from prison and then it talks about um how he deceives the nations and then encircles the camp of the holy ones and then at the end his end is to be cast into the lake of fire this translation has marsh of fire mm -hmm. and so um whether that's future or not i think is is beyond my ability to interpret uh, i think it is um i don't know exactly because I, I i don't see it having happened yet um but 
but I'd like to focus on Chris's uh, question just for a little longer uh, about what's happening now. Like, how can Satan be bound for in the millennium now? Yeah. And I'm just going to give a plug to uh, to an article that I that I wrote about this topic. It's in an online magazine called The Wineskin, and the name of it's called When the Oracles Fell Silent. Mm-hmm. And I just want to uh, pause here and just mention that because... Um, after Jesus left the earth and, uh, or even before when he's talking to his disciples and he's giving them authority now, just like it says in Revelation 20, um, the, the apostles also sat on thrones, right? And, and they also had an authority over the earth. And then that spread to the Gentiles that Revelation 20 is talking about the Gentiles. Then, uh, and, and I don't believe Gentiles as if it's opposed to Jews. I don't think that's even a thing where, where it's it's only belongs to if you're a foreigner because remember god divided the separating wall so in him there is no jew and gentile so we don't have to take that verse for a ride and say well sorry you have no authority if you're a jewish background person you know like that that's That's crazy the 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 first church was uh was so jewish you know yeah the very first apostles were jewish i mean the church has never lost uh you know her jewishness and uh exactly israel was just expanded and redefined in our minds and yeah and wow what a wonderful thing yeah jew and 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 gentile one new man jesus gave to his jewish disciples he said you know this this kingdom that's been given to me, I now give to you. And and then later in John, he says, you know, that they may be uh, in you even as I am in you and send them into the world, even as you sent me into the world. So he's yeah. basically, Jesus is passing the baton. The anointed one that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 is the first fruits, but first fruits implies later fruits, doesn't it, Joe? It implies yeah. a harvest later. First fruits is just the first sign of, 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 of a harvest. And the first fruits was basically not, uh, it was, it was ex- in expectation of more, of an mm-hmm. abundance, of an overflow. And that's us. That's you and me. That's uh, all of church history from the resurrection on until now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's not going to quit anytime soon. We don't have to lay down. So anyways, this article, the, the, when the oracles fell silent, talks about a phenomenon that occurred in the ancient world in classical Greece where a, a problem, the, the philosophers were encountering a, a real troubling phenomenon. And this phenomenon was about the oracles. I don't know, Joe, if you've, you've looked at this, but around the time of Christ, it seems all of the oracles in Greece, and I'm assuming Asia Minor also, because they were also prevalent there, these, these founts of wisdom in the ancient world that, that in the Greek empire and, and later, the well, of course, the Roman empire, People used to go to them to ask for divine favor, to ask for predictions about the future, whether they'd be successful in, in their life, in their reign, if they're a king, if, if a battle was in their favor or not, how much, you know, how many of their forces should they, um, you know, uh, send into battle and so on, and, and how it would, just the outcomes of things. They wanted to get these people with a link into the supernatural to give them some pronouncement about it. And they called them oracles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, a very famous uh, philosopher called Plutarch in first century Greece discussed with his fellows one day this very troubling phenomenon that was occurring. And that was these oracles were were shutting down. 
that all across these nations, these oracles were closing the doors and and sh and shutting the shutters for business. You know, you can imagine the flipping closed or out of business or or uh, out for repairs or something like that. This it seemed, and and they couldn't figure out why this was happening, but it was spreading everywhere. That either they were unviable, so that no one trusted them anymore, and so they fell into disuse that way, or they just stopped talking or that the gods stopped talking to them mm -hmm. or, you know, any number of things. And so the, you can read it for yourself. It's uh, by Plutarch and he has this whole conversation and each of his fellows. And there's five guys in this party try to figure out why this is happening. And none of them are able to come to a definite conclusion. I mean, the, the closest they can come, I think, to a conclusion is uh, Plutarch himself. He says, Though God is eternal, spiritual things are like natural things. Eventually, inevitably, they wear out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the conclusion that they come to. Okay, mm -hmm. it's just just like the natural thing: uh, a sock can't, la a shoe or sock or whatever can't last forever. They're going to mm -hmm. wear out and revert back to themselves, which I guess means dust to dust. Basically, mm -hmm. you know, everything wears out and dies anyway. So he thought, oh, maybe the oracle's time is over. Now, in a way, indirectly, I agree with that, but I think it's much more powerful than that. And this is something that one of the church fathers, Athanasius, also uh, spoke about, that uh, that because of the work of, of God through Christ in the power of his crucifixion and what that meant, the whole world turned as if it was on a hinge. Mm. And uh, you can go away ahead and take the screen off uh, now, if, if you don't mind, Joe. Okay. But, um, just imagine that the, in the crucifixion and and God's uh, Jesus is going down into Sheol, the, the realm of the dead, and then raising again on the third day and then ascending on high constituted an incredible shift in the world's atmosphere, in the environment, both in the spiritual and, as we can see here, in the physical realm, in the terrestrial realm, where these temples and oracles and supernatural so-called founts of wisdom suddenly began drying up like from the inside out you know what i mean yeah. and you can and for me i see that as the beginning um steps of that fulfillment of satan being bound that mm. that's that's really where i get this from because i see the ancient world as so completely different than our modern world and even in the centuries just after jesus incredible transformation began to take place throughout the world starting like a shockwave from the middle east and then expanding in all directions in all the four cardinal directions north south east and west just like the bible talks about this shockwave began to began to fill the earth and yeah. in its wake whole cultures and people groups were being transformed mm -hmm. um, people's people's you you can do a study on this people's language even started changing new ideas were being born in foreign languages such that they had to create new words for things that no one had ever thought before good things you know peace yeah. and love and joy and everything like this yeah. i mean just things about christ's kingdom were getting uh were being um now uh had such an influence on people that it even permeated the languages of the people that it affected. And so that's what we're talking about when we say Satan 
is bound for the millennium reign of Christ, Satan being bound in that way. Again, Jesus says to his disciple, whatever you bind on earth will bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So uh, go ahead and read the article. There's there's two two and a half parts to it, and in it, when the the when the oracles fell silent, I, I talk about the difference uh, through a whole bunch of historical voices, both atheist and Christian, how the world has changed and how how it's possible to believe the binding of Satan through the centuries until now, even though in the newspaper today we still see some of the consequences and effects and old habits, even though we see some things still being, um, you know, s still being influenced. And we still see the the echoes of the serpent's mouth moving, you might see, the flick of his tongue moving, even though his he's been defeated and disarmed, which means he has no arms and he has no feet. so much for being with us today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share with your family, friends, and those who have yet to discover their awesomeness and yours. You can also check us out at lovereimagine.org. Again, no cows were harmed during the recording of this episode.